Yo, yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Flunk Me, episode two. I'm Ricky Tiburcio, and I'm back with my co-host, Ben Wolfen. We are absolutely struggling, but learning with the podcast life, and I fucking love it. I love it. Tell me. I'll fail. Watch what happens. <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, today we have a very, very special guest, Jeremy Padauer, an entrepreneur who has built a positive culture in the toy and entertainment space. He is also one of the leaders in collectibles and memorabilia. Would you turn down 300K at 21? I was offering money for people's uh, domain names that were not uh, necessarily fully executed or, or, or uh, developed. And I came across act.com in a Yahoo chat. And uh, I offered a uh, thousand bucks. And uh, essentially a year and a half later, uh, I got a call from Symantec. Uh, they own the Act scheduling software, and they said, "Mr. Padauer, we'd like to offer you three hundred thousand dollars for Act.com." And I was like, "Eh, no thanks." <laughs> <laughs> We're here right now with my guy Jeremy Padauer. Jeremy is, is a partner at Jazzwares. He's been in the toy industry for decades, and he's absolutely changed the game, whether it's toys or collecting. And I'm super excited to get him on on the episode here welcome welcome jeremy thank you thank you i'm yeah. listen i'm thrilled to, i'm thrilled to be here and i have to tell you uh and i was very proud that you asked me on uh your podcast here it's a uh, it's a really uh, wonderful opportunity to uh to chat with you and to help educate people on the, the the wonderful world of collectibles yeah so i want to go over my first question is for everyone yeah. in the audience to learn about you who is jeremy padauer and what does he do Oh my goodness. Well, let's see. So I am an entrepreneur that today is in the toy space and I've been in toys for the last 20 years. And, uh, but basically I started off as a, an internet guy because I was in school and I sucked at law school and I did not <laughs> want to leave law school with a major debt load. So I figured out a way to basically game Yahoo and Yahoo at the time in the mid nineties was like an early search engine. Everything was categorical. So if I wanted to create a Beanie Baby site, I'd name it with two A's and I'd show up very first in their listing. Mm -hmm. So after a few months, I had like 20,000 people a day coming through my network and it allowed me to A, put some money away and B, uh, avoid debt for not doing what I wanted to do with my life and then C, basically continue on, go to business school at Vanderbilt and uh, get recruited to Mattel. So for the last 20 years in the toy industry, I went from a basically a brand new uh, brand manager type personality to uh, really a top executive to an entrepreneur that was struggling to an entrepreneur that did exceptionally well. And now I'm a partner in the sixth largest toy company in the world, Jazzwares. Wow. Wow. But that is, that's incredible, man. <laughs> Thank you. But that's incredible. Yeah. We make, uh, we make Pokemon, Roblox, Fortnite, Halo, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids, Cocomelon, Blippi, Peppa, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we do that globally and it's it's just been amazing. I mean, pivoting to the gaming space and the social space meant the world for our organization. So I, I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about your time as a quote unquote average law student. Yeah, because oh, below average, but go ahead. Below, below average. <laughs> but I want to talk about one of the most historic events in at the time in, in, in the history of the internet. You bought or you had a website called act.com. I want to hear a yeah. little bit about that. So one of the things that I recognized early on when I was uh, when I was gaming Yahoo 
is that I could only get a certain number of eyeballs to my websites. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. It was a lot. But I thought I had a theory that people were directly navigating to domain names. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly, because these were invisible digital pieces of property that people were mining for money 25 years ago, uh, on the eve of having NFTs blow up and people having digital internet properties today. uh, But yeah, no, we were doing this 25 years ago. And so I, I was I was offering money for people's uh, domain names that were not uh, necessarily fully executed or 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 uh, developed, and I came across Act.com in a Yahoo chat, and uh, I offered a uh, thousand bucks, and uh, essentially a year and a half later, uh, I got a call from Symantec. Uh, they own the Act scheduling software, and they said, Mr. Padauer, we'd like to offer you three hundred thousand dollars for Act.com. And I was like, eh, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I hung up the phone. They called me back uh, and they offered 500 grand and I took it. And uh, it was that kind of event. And I was 24 years old. And uh, that kind of event, as you can imagine, uh, really changed my life financially. And it really opened up my eyes to what I really was meant to be, which was an entrepreneur following my own passions. Yeah. And that actually brings me to a quote because obviously, even though I've known you for honestly almost a year now, which is crazy from the first time I met you. uh, But when I was doing my background research, I I came across a little quote about you. And you said this in an article. You said, if you can sleep a few less hours and create value, then that is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's especially amazing when you're younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you, you have energy to burn when you're younger. Uh, For whatever reason, we're put on this earth with such an enormous amount of energy and there's not necessarily the need for the level of sleep. Now, it's always nice to catch up on the weekends. Maybe you get your eight hours here and there. But if you can spend a few extra hours at night focusing on something you're passionate about and driving incremental value to yourself and your life, um, it will pay off for the rest of your life because you're setting the tone that no matter who you work for, no matter what you do, you still reserve a little time and a little space for the things that you love and the things that you're passionate about. Yeah, definitely. For I sure. mean, for me, for, for me, just getting into like my early career, I mean, I've, I've related to that quote so much and, and what you taught me that it's, it's super important to not, not just take a job that that's good monetary wise, but that's good for your own health your and something that you're passionate about, that you're that you're loving work every day that you're going to it. That's exactly right. And I think Ricky said it right, man. It's your soul. Yeah, like, like you've got to nourish your soul. Uh, but by the way, even if you are doing a job and the job that you're doing is just strictly for the money, um, it doesn't stop you from spending 10% of your time at night if you're willing to spend those hours opening up an eBay store, or figuring out how to leverage Etsy or doing mm-hmm. other things. Maybe you, maybe you work with artists to create NFTs. Like there's maybe you Uber on the side. Like there's, right. it just depends on what you love. There's so many ways to do things that you love under your own direction. And that's one of the things I've loved about the card business the last, you know, 12 months, just in terms of like, there seems to be a lot of people, no matter what else they're doing, they're really enjoying and leveraging this very, engaging and amazing market of trading cards yeah Yeah. jeremy so so i personally i have no background uh with with the card industry so i kind of want you to explain a little bit to me as a beginner and some of our viewers i'm sure they have no idea about the space why is it blowing up the way it's blowing up 
Well, I think a, I think a few things. I think initially it, there were a lot of people that were engaging with things that were um, sort of in the back of their mind, but they just didn't have the time to do it. Like for me, I, I for the last 20 years, I've traveled 100,000 miles a year. I've got, I've got multiple million miles travels. I've got those little, unfortunately, I have those little cards that prove it where I go up to, you know, American Airlines and I hand it over and then they give me an upgrade because I've traveled zillions of miles. But I traveled zero miles this last year. Zero. I didn't get on an airplane. I haven't been on an airplane since since February. I went to the Super Bowl last year in February, and I haven't been on an airplane since. And wow. the thing that was it, the thing that's amazing about that is all of those hours that I've spent traveling, all of those hours that I've spent, you know, at dinners that I didn't have to go to, and we were just as successful without them. Um, I dedicated to just you know learning things for my own self and doing things that that are non-cannibalistic to my traditional professional life. And so um, I think a lot of people did that. So initially people engaged with things that they loved, that they felt comfort in. And then I think what, what the giant, uh, ama- the, the, basically the giant takeaway has been, wow, this has truly evolved. The, the grading, like if I talked about PSA grading to people a year ago, they would look at me like I was crazy. Now I talk about PSA grading. I could, t- I could, like, if my grandma were alive, I could mention it to her, and I'm pretty sure she'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's a, is it a nine or a 10? Right. <laughs> you know? Like, like, like a year ago, the the average ordinary person didn't know that. So this whole idea of scarcity and understanding that there are different levels that a card may have in valuation depending on the level, definitively, you know who knew it the least? The people on Wall Street. They didn't know anything about it. They didn't take it seriously at all. The crypto kids didn't take it seriously at all. They didn't know anything about it. Mm. The sneaker kids, they didn't know anything about it. So all of these people have become interested in a market that is, in fact, um, had this grading system for quite some time, but the grading is protects you because it, it protects your scarcity. And so I think, I think that's what's happened. And I think the people have really explored their interests. They've found that there's been sea changes in this area. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and frankly speaking, it's been very profitable because whenever you find a market that's evolving, you can find profit. And so there's been remarkable profit in this evolving market. Yeah. And I mean, you, you've you been so good for me in the fact that I sold my first high-end vintage card the other day. Even though it wasn't... Oh, was it the Ali? Yeah, I sold the Ali. Crazy. Oh, are you going to share or no? I mean, I, all right, all right. I could share. All right, so... Dude, you got to share. Like, Yeah, I got to share. All right, <laughs> so... All right, so the reason I said it's almost been a year. I met Jeremy in March of last year. Jeremy yeah. was one of the first guests on a show called uh, Talking Shop, which is a show I produced with Buster Share about cars and uh, about influencers in the cars and collectible space. Shout and out Buster! Shout out Buster! Uh, so usually after those episodes, me and Buster can attest to is that we would always stay on the line after the, after the interview is over. And we would talk to our guests for like an hour or hour or two. The difference for Jeremy was we stayed on the line for four hours with Jeremy (laughs) because Jeremy at the time he's preaching Pokemon. Also, I was going to say, I mean, what does this card mean to you? This is a base set red cheeks. This is a nine. So this is a, I mean, at the high peak, it was at 2000 at the high peak. Now it's back down to a couple hundred, like seven, 800. Wait, is that, is that yellow cheeks or red cheeks? Red cheeks. 
Have you seen, well, maybe, are you sure about that? Because have you seen that Red Cheeks PSA 10s have recently sold for $14,000? I have not. I mean, but oh, those are me first, that, this isn't a, this is a base. This is, this crazy. is a base. Oh, that's crazy. base. That's yeah, a base set. It's a base. But I, I do have plenty of first edition Red Cheeks coming back from PSA in a couple of weeks. So shout oh, out man, to I that. Hopefully PSA, return my cards, please, please. All right. <laughs> but back to the story. So me... Jeremy and Buster had just finished recording. I was sitting in my basement, which Ricky knows is an arcade. Jeremy knows is an arcade now. And I was just trying to impress Jeremy. I was like, oh, look, I come from a family that does all this old arcade stuff. I just wanted to impress him. I thought he's so cool. And then he's like, you know, yeah. And he's like, you know what's cool? Making all this money just by selling this little piece of cardboard. I was like, okay. And then, (laughs) and then, uh, we were talking Pokemon for a while and Jeremy, Jeremy will tell people this. He doesn't really collect modern vintage basketball cards that much, but he'll collect like the vintage basketball cards that, that matter that are low population, which means that there's not that many graded at a 10 or a nine or an eight or whatever. Um, and he brought up a 1979 Wiener Landis Jack Nicholas card. And at the time that was still a little out of my price range. I wasn't making that much money, but the 1979 Muhammad Ali card was not out of my range. It was an $80 card for a 10. It's amazing. The pop report is 134. So there's only 134 graded out of 10. And uh, over the last year, I mean, the prices really didn't fluctuate. They were maybe up to two, $300. And I'm not sure who it is. I heard this rumor from someone that either Gary V or Dan Fleischman talked about it on a podcast and the prices spiked significantly. Oh, interesting. So they were starting to be listed for twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. And I could see they weren't being sold at that price, but prices were being accepted. And I listed mine originally for 6,000 called Jeremy. Jeremy's like, no, take that down, list it for 25. Yeah. And, I waited, I waited two days and I wasn't getting any offers, but when I brought it back down to six, I was getting offers, I was getting offers for like three thirty-five, And then I got a, uh, eBay DM from an email on eBay. He's like, I'll take it for 48 right now. So I said, yes. Nice. Well done, dude. Yeah. So, and I mean, an $80, $80 investment turned into $4,800. That's 5,900%. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah, 60 times return, 60 times return on your investment. Now, yeah, like you don't get many of those in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you, I, I hope that you do. I yeah. hope that you get 10 of those in your life, but I, ju- I, I can tell you, I've had maybe one or two times where I've had anything have a return of, of that level. Now you can get 10 times, you can get 15 times, but when you're talking about 60 times, I mean, Think about it. As you guys progress down your life and you make a $10,000 investment in something, a 60 times return is $600,000. So think about how you're scaling that up as you go. You turn into $80 bet into, into $4,800. I can't wait to see what you do when you're a little bit older and you have a little bit more access to capital because I mean, really that's the, that's the game that we all play. And, and look, for me, when I was in my early 20s, all I had was student loans. When I was in my closer to my mid twenties, I had cash because I was hustling and I figured out ways to make money and, uh, you know, ways to 
unfortunately, uh, you know, utilize my student loans in ways that I don't think that the government would have really loved, but I paid them back in a timely manner. <laughs> that is funny, man. Yo, so Jeremy, let me ask you. Um, in your early career, you graduated from Tennessee in 2000, got your MBA from Vanderbilt in 2001. Um, your first job at Mattel, what kind of obstacles did you have to deal with? Were there certain things that if you look back on now, they really molded you to who you became today? And let me just tell you this. So my, my big lesson was this. Um, no matter what I had done entrepreneurially before, um, I walked in there day one, a, a neophyte, brand new. And nobody really cared that I had had a successful business. They, they thought it was interesting, but it certainly wasn't going to give me a leg up on anything. And, uh, and so I, I, I learned that and it came in very handy as an entrepreneur. I learned that when you start something new, you've got to check your ego at the door. You 100% have to check your ego at the door. Like for sure. The bigger transaction, the bigger transition for me was when I was a, a, a very meaningful executive at Jack's Pacific, where I was for 10 years, where I was managing a lot of big brands. Um, and then I left and became an entrepreneur uh, day one, just with a, you know, a white piece of paper and, 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 uh, and trying to come up with new ideas. Um, that, that was a massive learning because now I was 39 years old um, and I had a world of experience and, you know, getting a callback from somebody was, you know, I was really relying on relationships because I had not much to offer them at that time. So I guess those were big lessons. But the other thing that I will tell you is that if you are good natured, if you treat people well, um, while I don't know if karma is real in the spiritual sense, it's very real in the pragmatic sense. Treat people well, and they'll treat you well when you need them the most. They will. Not everybody, but some people will. And you don't need everybody. I had some people that wouldn't call me back. You just need some of the people. Because all it takes is a couple good breaks when you're, when you're shifting and you're transitioning to something new. Like, honestly, like, you know what? Like, this is, uh, this is one of your earliest podcasts of this particular uh, episode, right? Episode two. Well, guess what? I didn't care if it was episode two or episode 50. Like to me, you know what? You, you're, you guys are going to do great. Amazing. And so for me, it's a, just a great opportunity to connect with guys that are going to be, you know, changing the world. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And, I, thank, and you, that's, thank you, man. That's the paying it forward stuff right there. Yeah, man. I think uh, civility is, is, is super important and humility as well. Um, and, and, and you've really expressed that throughout your career. I think that's, that's remarkable. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm very interested actually by a quote that one of your, I would guess, I don't know if it's your boss or, or a coworker, but Jeff Walker, who at the time is was, it Jeff? is it? Yeah. Also, yeah. We got to know if it's pronounced it? Jeff. He's, he's I don't know, it says G O off or something. Yeah, yeah. It's Jeff. So I'm very interested by something Jeff had to say in an article okay. about you. This is what he said when he hired you. And like, I think this is an, an ultimately great start to your career. He said his critical thought process, legal perspective on business decisions, entrepreneurial spirit and sheer love for toys and collectibles separated Jeremy from all other employees. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, honestly, mm. I, let me, let me tell you the truth. Okay. Uh, the truth is that's probably true in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Those, but, but I, I did have love for the toys. I did have an entrepreneurial spirit and I did have some insight on the law because I did come from a legal background, even though, like I said, I was, I was in the bottom half of my class. Um, but I did, I didn't have the skill set 
to be effective yet. Um, it took me time. It took me time at Mattel to truly have a skill set. I, I did have an amazingly good attitude. And I was really, really, um, you know, optimistic and excited. And I wanted to be around and I wanted to contribute in any way possible. Um, but I just want everyone to know, like, when you start something new, you're not good at it yet. You, you may have some innate skills, but you're not good at it yet. And, and everyone should cut you a break while you're developing your skill set. And that's just and that and and I'm really appreciative that that's how he remembers it because mm -hmm. Jeff Jeff went on to be the the you know essentially the president of Mattel the CTO of Mattel he's now the CEO of a company called Kidcraft which is one of the largest toy companies out there they focus on wood products so it's really cool to hear someone like that say that I, I'm very uh, uh you know honored I guess so thank you yeah um. I guess what I want to what I want to transition into now is your current role at Jazzwares. Obviously, yeah. like you could you could blast all all the social you want about cars and collectibles, but your your main day job is Jazzwares. You're a partner there, and you make everything from Pokemon to to plush toys to Fortnite stuff, and 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 AEW and WWE, which is obviously massive. So I kind of want to hear a little bit about that role at Jazzwares and what you do, like what is your day-to-day -day at Jazzwares? So day-to-day -day at Jazzwares is to be on a very core, small leadership team mm -hmm. that helps shape the vision of the company um, to make sure that our many hundreds of employees, almost 700 employees, um, have careers that are fulfilling uh, and um, to make sure that, you know, for me, I would say two of my biggest things that I do are focus on new business, new opportunities, which is something I sort of innately have a sense for. Yeah. Um, and then managing brands um, and making sure that we develop brands and we're able to communicate what these brands are through product and through other efforts. Um, you know, um, it, but it's such a remarkably good team that it doesn't necessarily require me to get deep into the weeds the way, you know, I used to, mm -hmm. um, like when I, when I, when look, like I told you, I went from a situation where I was a topic, uh, one of the top executives in an organization that was big. Uh, and I went to being a guy that was sitting alone at my desk with a white piece of paper, trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. In fact, um, earliest days I was doing door to door, uh, sales where I was going to small, uh, individual, toy stores and asking them that they would, you know, test out our product by taking it for free. So can you can imagine the type of feeling that you might be having during that time, like really questioning and second guessing, but, um, through a lot of time and hard work, it's amazing, uh, that we're, we are where we are. And, uh, you know, and that is the sixth largest toy company in the world. So kind of blows my mind that, uh, but Jazzwares is a, a remarkable company and it is growing so rapidly and yes i i would say i spend um 100 of my professional time there and uh and then at night on the weekends stuff like that i tend to start thinking about you know how to engage with people on the collectible side so jeremy my my time in sales um so let me just give you a little background on myself i'm a videographer and content oh. creator full-time and i started about a year and a half ago but I started off in sales and it was probably like the worst experience that I've ever had. I stuck it out for like six, seven months and I was just like, you know, I can't 
physically sit here in this chair and not do what I love. Like I was super active my entire life and yep. just couldn't do it, man. I learned a lot, definitely learned a lot, but I wanted to ask you, yeah, throughout your time in sales, right, when you first started off, was there a time and point when you were like, fuck this, I am not doing yeah. this. I am like, like where you went through a mental battle, a serious mental battle. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, when, you, when, when you're involved with an early stage startup, um, and you're involved at, you know, a partnership level, uh, like a real serious, like, you know, partnership level, you're, you're not really taking a salary. You're especially in the toy business, because there's a long lead time in developing a business that's actually sellable. Um, so I went years without taking a dime. I was burning through my own bank account. I was doing things that were, you know, when you're a, a high level executive in an organization, there are things that you don't have to do anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. by the way, you should always engage with those things because if you don't, then you lose touch and your, your toolkit doesn't stay sharp, but not day to day. And so it was remarkable to go from that to, again, basically doing every single task, taking the garbage out, everything that you have to do, everything. And, uh, but, you know, it was really good for me. It was really, really good for me because there, there's no task that's not part of your vision board. And there's nobody that does anything at the organization that you don't respect. And it was a great reminder that, look, these things don't happen by themselves. Like these big boxes that need to be broken down, these galleries that need to be set up, mm -hmm. these shelves that need to be put up. Like, it's not like these things were doing themselves. There were people doing these things. I have to say that if I ever lost sight of that, I fully will never lose it again because, you know, I, I do all these things myself or I did when we were earlier stage. Right. Putting in the time, putting in the, yeah. putting in the work so every day. Know? So to answer your question, every day that I had to do things like go sell to uh, a one-off toy store when I was used to meeting with, you know, the biggest toy companies in the world. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was great for me. Uh, cause I have so much respect for everybody, but it was hard. And, and frankly speaking, there were days where I really definitely second guessed it for sure. How did, how did you deal with those days? Those, those off days, what were some things that you had to do for yourself in order to really like pick yourself up? Well, I mean, I, I reminded myself constantly that if in the worst case scenario, I, I went bankrupt, that I am exceptionally good at what I do. And that I didn't mind necessarily starting over again in my forties. I was hopeful that I wasn't going to have to do that. And it was never been really the structure of my life to do that. Right. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're shooting for the fences, there are times in your life where, you know, unfortunately you have to put it all on the line. And, um, you know, it, I will say that you, you know, I don't, for me, it was unavoidable. Um, and, and my business partners did as well. So, you're going through it with somebody else. Um, and so that made it much more, that made it, that made it way better. Awesome. So cool. pick your, pick your partners very carefully. I mean, that's right. The circle is important, right? Your circle is important. That, that's how yeah. I chose Ricky. He's like, I wanted to keep my, my friends of, of media close. So it was always my guys were, were Buster, you, and then when I saw bees, I played, so me and Ricky met because we played basketball together or we played against each other since we were literally like seven, eight years Youngins. old, probably. Yep. Uh, yeah. Really wow. young. But when I saw Ricky started getting into media, I was, 
I he's like I knew him and I played with him, so I was like, this is a good kid, and I want to see that he's doing well in this field. So I was like, there's no one better right. to to talk about these like be these beginning steps of your career and and failing at mo- most steps along the way. There's no one better to talk to because we're both going through the same yeah, thing man. currently. Well, just wait, wait. Twenty years from now, when you guys look back on this and you're leaders in your field, um, and it probably will happen much faster than that, but it, I'll just say twenty, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, you'll be in mid stride, mid career. Um, I will tell you that these days will be coveted, and they're hard, but they're coveted. Yeah, I mean, that's what you said with me and Buster. I appreciate it then. I appreciate it now, and uh, I I kind of want to get into something that that that's in the news i want to get into before before we talk cards and investing because that could go on for literal hours 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 <laughs> and jeremy's only got probably about 18 more minutes uh <laughs> <laughs> so i want to get into real fast uh aew's in the news right now because they are starting to roll out more female uh wrestling figures so i definitely want to get into that and how AEW is is establishing itself going into the future. Obviously, realizing what the world is and what what kids want to see and what will affect them going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think a look a good wrestling association um, is a great mix of reality and fantasy, um, and uh, and also a reflection of the people. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that AEW's done an, uh, a nice job in terms of looking like the audience and there's a strong, you know, inclusivity. And I like the fact that the, that specifically the women within the organization are taking a great, greater role and a grander role, because, you know, if you look at, at women athletes in wrestling, um, the matches are really strong. And uh, frankly speaking, you know, it's interesting because I watched a, I watched a, something like from the 1950s the other day, and it was an all African American woman match from the 50s from Madison Square Garden, and it was the headliner match. So it was the last match of the night, and it sort of blew me away because people forget that these types of things ever occurred. Like you know, now we're going like, oh wow, women are taking a bigger role in wrestling. Well, interestingly enough, there was a time when they did. I don't know. I don't know any of the background. I don't know anything behind it, but it actually made me feel good. It made me feel good that you have, you know, that, that at least I can share with my grandparents that at that moment they, you know, if they were there, they were watching a main event with someone who, you know, may have otherwise been considered a second, second class citizen and they should have been first class all the way. But for that moment they were, and uh, it made me feel great because, you know, I, I, I had no idea that those opportunities were even availed. But as it pertains to today for a moment, yeah, you know, I mean, it's important to celebrate from a toy standpoint what you see on television. And now that there's definitely more time committed to, you know, amazing female athletes, it allows us to make amazing female toys and collectibles that celebrate them. Yeah, definitely. So speaking on... Uh on uh, collectibles and memorabilia. Jeremy, actually, can I call you Jay, bro? Can I call you yeah, Jay? Yeah, man, 100%. All right, cool. I, I, All right, so I Jay. my emails with Jay. Jay it is. So um, you're known as one of the top collectors of memorabilia, memorabilia and collectibles. So I wanted to kind of touch base on that. Um, 
what have you been investing in? Any nostalgic <laughs> items that you may have? Well, so I mean, look, number one, I put a lot of money and time into Pokemon before it before it really blew up. Um, cool. I focused a lot on um, first edition set, but a lot of like vintage Charizard and Pikachu. And um, I bought a, I paid the most, I broke a world record for the most ever paid for a Harry Potter. Uh, actually, sorry. I bought a Harry Potter book, first edition, first print from 1997, which also happens to be a world record paid for any book published in the last 50 years. That's dope. Uh, so it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, but I really think that that book- <laughs> Can we say the official price? 193 193,000. Yeah, 193. But by the way, 193. You know, I I look for I look for opportunities that are 10 times in 10 years and I really do believe that that offers that kind of return. Um that brand is just through the roof. It's a remarkable brand and the and the consumers that are into that brand are, you know, of their age. They're 20 to 30 years old, uh, maybe a little bit older. And their cha- the, the ability to invest in 10 years versus today for them is through the roof. Plus, I happen to love that brand. It was a book, the entire book series I read with my wife before we mm. got married. Uh, wait, the first three books I read with my wife before we got married. And then after uh, the, la- the last four came out. But um, also, I've been buying into Fortnite. And I've been buying into some Star Wars and Harry Potter and, um, you know, Marvel uh primarily oh, so you're, you're all over the place you're you're just you're <clears throat> dipping your toes in everything i i am i i i tend to i tend to spread my wings uh but i focus on the things that i have a an inherent understanding of i mean i i definitely think it's interesting one because i also invested marvel because of you got the series oh, three cool. box uh but i mean your investment at the time of the PSA 10 Pikachu or of the, uh, the first edition Pokemon set, what was it? Was that 163? No, 129,000. Okay. So I want to talk about that because I think the Charizard alone right now, what is the Charizard close to 200? If I'm correct, about 350 to 375. All right. So Charizard. you said that you wanted a 10 times return in 10 years, but what does it mean that you could get that 10 times return arguably now? Well, I think, well, it means, I mean, it, it means that my timing was outstanding is mm-hmm. what it means. It means that I lucked out. Um, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't anything that I could have predicted. Um, and I was very open and honest about the fact that I was looking for um, something that would be over a longer time horizon. Um, with that said, I guess it doesn't entirely surprise me with all of the interest in the card space. And also it doesn't surprise me with the um, amazing um, amount of excitement in in general. I want to I wanna know about other products of Jeremy Padauer. You showed it off on Buster's show. Now I kind of want to hear about it here. What are some of the, some parts of your nostalgia is is investing in products that that mean a lot for people going forward and i think one of them i think is the coolest thing ever i want to hear what steve jobs meant to you oh interesting oh so yeah you know i'll tell you what steve jobs meant to me so first of all um i just i look i thought he was a remarkable innovator um but remember until i was in my 30s you know he had kind of been really secondary 
um, in the entrepreneurship realm to someone like Bill Gates. He, he was going back and forth between uh, Next and Apple and it just, he, he then came back to Apple and had Pixar and some huge events that just changed everything. And then of course the iPad, I'm sorry, the iPhone, the iTouch, the iEverything. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I'll just tell you this. In, in 2000, uh, May of 2000, I paid $20 a share for Apple stock. And I sold it in, I believe, July of 2000 for $12 a share. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one guy that lost money on Apple stock. The, the 10, the, I think $20,000 that I put in at the time today would be worth like $4 million. Oh, my head. I sold it for 12000 So I guess the point is that not everything that you do, even if you're successful, is going to be a win. But you know how many times I've thought about that? Probably five times when I'm trying to make a point. I don't just let those things get to me. I never think about those things because anybody could have bought Apple stock at that time. And if you did, you did. If you didn't, you didn't. It doesn't matter that I held it. Um, I, I like I like Apple. I like the collectability of the early iPhones, the early iPads. So one of the things that I got is this uh, sealed original um, iPhone, which you can see. This is the original iPhone. Uh, has the, the original H one. Seal. This is the original. This is the original first edition uh, iPhone. I think there's like six million made, and probably close to none that are, uh, you know, um, sealed and still in the original condition. But they've made That's like insane. I don't remember the number three billion since that time. So it's a it's a pretty rare piece. I think I paid seven grand for it, <clears throat> and I don't see anything available out there right now. So Jeremy, what what do you see yourself investing in within the next ten years? Because you know things are always changing, things are always evolving. Um, what could you really see yourself investing in within the next ten years? I mean, I could see myself investing in brands like Stranger Things, um, you know, like Hunger Games, things that were really important to the kids in the 2000 to two, 2010 to 2015 range. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it just depends. It has to be the right platform. It has to like, t-shirts aren't going to do it. If there were cards or a game or something that you can really collect and get behind, that's that's what I would focus on. I, like right now I'm focused on the 20 to 30 year old kid. And at some point you start focusing on the that same group. They just, it's just a different era. Right. I think I'm also starting to see value. I think, I, I don't know if you've invested heavy into it yet, but I, I'm starting to, which is graded video games, which I think oh, are the next, sure. huge. the next huge. huge thing. So I sold my first game, which was ESPN College Hoops 2K5, which is, so 2K obviously is now 2K Gaming, but at one time it was owned by ESPN. So 2K5 is the second year of that product. And right now, I'm going to say this because I'm going to buy it before anyone else does before this episode comes out, uh, <laughs> is <laughs> I'm going to, I saw a listing for a sealed, I haven't seen any NBA ones, but I saw a sealed Xbox, the first Xbox uh, of College Hoops 2K4, which is... Oop, I just did a buy it now. I just did a buy it now. Sorry. Oh, you ass. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> 
I want to, I, I think that's just a funny point to touch on is that at, at a certain it. point of investing, like you have, I think you know how, how to identify the markets for each age group, like what is nostalgic to them. And then you're able to invest in that. A hundred percent. And that's, that's really the game. Uh, but I mean, in addition, it, it, ideally it means something to you as well because mm-hmm. you want to enjoy being the caretaker of it. I mean, none of us are permanent. A lot of this stuff is way more permanent than we are. You know, it won't be around forever. Uh, we won't be around forever, but some of this stuff will be around well beyond us. So I guess the point of that message is you might as well be st- around stuff that you enjoy and that express you and your values and who you are. Um, like Muhammad Ali is somebody that, you know, I think practically anybody can relate to, you know, the struggle, the, the, the you know, the aspirational victories, the fact that he, you know, was such a life-changing type or, you know, human. Um, so that, that was a great one. It's hard to, it's, it's easy to feel passion for that person. Um, but focusing on things that are passionate and surrounding yourself with those things, it just makes for a really good vibe. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great way to wrap up this episode. We are just sitting three minutes under an hour here. Jeremy has to get going, but Jeremy, I want to thank you for coming on for the second episode. I mean, you know, it means so much to me that you keep doing this with me and you've been so supportive of me and I always appreciate that. And I know Ricky meeting you for the first time. I bet this is a little bit like crazy because like the first time me meeting yeah, you man. for me, it was like, wow, this is absolutely nutty. I bet it's the same way for him uh but i want to yeah i just want to say thank you jeremy thank you appreciate it and you know dishing out some advice for not only us but a lot of our viewers um who might just be starting off their career and a lot of the advice that you gave is is it hit home man so i really appreciate it well it means a lot to me i look you know i'm i i'll tell you the truth you know i i thought you know for me that being successful was kind of going to be an sort of an end game like wow it's it i feel good now i've made some money it's all good i got the house and whatever else i wanted uh but the truth is i think what i always really wanted was relevance and so like you know this for me is really affirming it gives me relevance i'm really i want to contribute to people who are younger and who are you know looking for direction and feedback in their careers and maybe they don't have the connections maybe they do that's the point to me. Uh, this is way maybe as meaningful for me because it, you know, it affirms relevancy and I really appreciate that. All right, guys, this has been the second episode of flunk me. We will be back next week. I promise with another special guest and until next week, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in guys. All right. See you later. See ya. What's up? Well, be an idiot. You must unlearn what you have to learn. You lose! Good day, sir! But if I fail, I try again, and again, and again.